The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Come on, stand up on your feet, take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Joshua. Yeshua. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Joshua chapter 8. Oh. Glory. I think I did. Did I take the tithes and the offerings and stuff? We did that, right? Okay, thanks, Pastor Alex. You okay, man? All right. You lose track too? All right, glory. We're going to read five wonderful verses. Hallelujah. You ready? All right, Joshua chapter, what did I say? Eight. Joshua chapter eight, verse 30. On your marks? Not that it's a race or anything. Here we go. Get set? Go. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law, and you'll find that in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27 and 28. An altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. That would be the Ten Commandments. Which he had written, and all which he, which he had written. Verse 33. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them, half of them, everybody say half of them, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses' servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. Verse 34, and afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses. What did he read? The blessings and the curses according to all that was written in the book of the law. Last verse, verse 35. There was not one word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel. The men, pardon me, the women, the little ones, the strangers who were living among them. Father, thank you for what you're going to do, what you've already done. We ask God that you'd give us living understanding and revelation. Come on, talk to Jesus. Lord, speak to us, I pray. May we never be the same. In Jesus' name, if you have the freedom to pray in your heavenly language, in the Spirit, go right ahead. And we give you praise. Amen. You may be seated. We're in the midst of a series. They'll put a graphic up. Here it is. Possessing the land. We're in the midst of a series called Possessing the Land. Now, God wants you and I to fulfill everything that He has for us. He wants us to possess the land. And what does that mean exactly, Pastor well, I'm glad you asked. It means that God wants you to have everything that he said you could have, do everything he said you could do, and be everything he says you could be. 
He wants you to walk in fullness of destiny and the abundant life. He wants you to live in a place of blessing. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Now, we've been preaching in this book, which is a city-taking, river-crossing book on revival and strategy and how to move into the place of fulfillment in God. We've looked at many, many messages, and, uh, and we have a new one today, which is renewing the covenant. To bring you up to speed on what we have preached, Joshua took over from Moses. Anybody ever heard of Moses? Okay, Moses was God's man, burning bush, led them out of the, the, the house of bondage, Egypt, brought them through the wilderness. The spies failed, however. They didn't believe that God could bring deliverance in the promised land, and so they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness, as many of you know, or perhaps you've seen the movie. Moses has an anger problem, some unresolved hurts at Kadesh Barnea, and he fails, not going into the promised land and passing the baton to his assistant, young Joshua. Joshua takes leadership of God's people, and God speaks to him and says, you're going into the promised land, prepare yourself, you're going to cross over the Jordan, which, by the way, is at flood stage. It's overflowing all three banks at the time of harvest. And we'd asked ourselves at that message about crossing over, why? Why would God allow us to, you know, have us cross over at flood stage Jordan? I mean, why does God allow us to have these huge problems? And I think the answer is very simple. One, he wants to show off so that you put your trust in him. Two, you had a whole generation that didn't see the Red Sea because all the parents are dead because they were rebellious. And so he wanted to show himself strong on behalf of this new generation. It, it caused them to put their trust in him. And God parted the Jordan as they obeyed and they went across. They built stone. They put, put stones out of the river and built a memorial. We talked about building a memorial. It's important to remember what God has done in your life. Uh, spiritual amnesia is a recipe for disaster for believers. Remember how he set you free. Remember how he broke off the yoke of bondage. Remember how he took depression from you, anxiety from you. Remember where you used to be. Come on. Remember what Jesus has done. Don't ever forget about when you first gave your heart to Jesus. Return to your first love. Build memorials. Teach your kids. Teach everyone around you what God has done. Build memorials. And so they go on from there. And uh, well, actually, they stayed there, a place called Gilgal. And the parents were rebellious in bringing the covenant sign of circumcision to their children. So God spoke to Joshua and they recircumcise them or circumcise their kids for the first time. Actually, they're not kids, they're adults. Very painful process, I'm sure. And for three days, they heal and they recover while all of Canaan's land heard about the parting of the Jordan and are totally terrified. They then move on to take Jericho and see the man with a sword drawn, and it's the commander, the captain of the host of the army of the Lord. None other than, I believe, an incarnate Jesus, a theophany. As he stands before there, he takes off his shoes, he bounds down, and he worships how many of you know you're not supposed to worship angels, so it's not an angel? Joshua knew that. He worships the Lord there. And the Lord basically gives him a plan. Josh first asks him, hey, you with us or against us? And the captain of the host of the army of the Lord says no, which is not exactly an answer to his question because God has his own agenda, and we're really supposed to be with God. And so God gives a plan of how to take down the first city in the promised land. The city was called... Jericho. And so they follow through on the plan as unusual and bizarre in the natural as it is, and God caused the walls of Jericho to fall flat. But we must not forget about the harlot Rahab, who was a prostitute who hid the spies earlier on in the text. And they hid them and trusted God and 
flipped side. She said, I want to be on the side of the Jericho. I want to be on your side. And the spy said, hang this thread out the window, this scarlet thread, this blood red thread, a picture of the blood of Jesus, a picture of the death angel passing over. Amen. The blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lentils. And so the walls fall flat, but Rahab is spared. And it's a word for us in that particular message that God can take your life, though you might be like a Rahab, you might have done some unspeakable, shameful things. He can take your life and transform you. Rahab was saved, her whole household was saved, and she is in the lineage of none other than Jesus Christ. She is, she is in the lineage of the bloodline of Jesus. So God could take you no matter what you've been through, and he could transform you and use you to even bring about greatness and redemption. Can you say amen? They then move on to take the city of Ai. That's spelled A-I, or A-I is how you pronounce it. And they have a horrible defeat. There's only a few thousand people there. They should have wiped him out, but 36 men get killed. And we discover that there's this fool who yielded to his lust, and his name was Achan. God gave a plan to cause Jericho to fall and said, everything in Jericho is mine. It's the accursed stuff. It belongs to me. It's a picture of the first fruit. It's a picture of the tithe. God didn't ask for all the other cities to be given to him solely. Just Jericho. First fruit. Tithe. He says, this one's mine. The rest, you can have it. This one goes to me. Achan does not obey. Achan decides that, no, I'm going to take some of the stuff, and he gets himself a slick robe. We talked about that. Even this is last week's message now, and we'll, we're, we're up, to, up to point. He takes a robe, he takes a wedge of gold, he takes some silver, and he hides it under his tent. Interesting that he saw it, he liked it, he desired it, and he took it. Same thing Eve did, same thing that happens for all of us with sin. You look too long, you're on a hook real strong. Begin to think about it, and soon you'll be doing it, and that's just the way sin is conceived. Can you say amen? And so uh, Achan is found out, he's busted, but it's not before they suffer loss. They suffer a great loss because no longer is God with them because sin is in the camp. Now, there's many people that serve God half-hearted. They got half a foot in the world, one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, and they wonder why they're not blessed. I'm going to tell you something. God can't walk and abide with you if you're not living for him and, and abiding in him and resting in him and, and, and doing your best to live for God. It's hard for you. It, it's impossible. So God's not with them because there's sin in the camp and, and Joshua spends all day along with the elders on his face, rips his clothes, puts dust on his head, and he cries out, oh God, oh you've abandoned us. Am I going too fast for you? Because I had a cup of coffee right before church here. Y'all all right? Okay. What are we talking about? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so Josh is on his face, and he repents. I mean, he's not repenting. He's crying out to God. He's, he's lost his mind, if you read the text. God, did you bring us out here to kill us? Why did you bring us across the Jordan? You shouldn't have even done it. I mean, this great man of God is in total despair, and he loses, his, he loses it altogether. I mean, the prayer that he prays is, is exactly like the rebellious children that, uh, of the four, his forefathers in the wilderness. And, jo and Josh does this all day long, and finally God speaks to him, and I, I uh, jokingly said that the Lord said to him, Josh, shut up. That's not really what he said, but he did tell him to get up. He says, Joshua, get up. And he says, there's sin in the camp. In other words, Josh, I'm, the problem is not with me. You didn't lose the battle because of, of me. You lost the battle because somebody's in sin. There's sin in the camp. And so Achan is 
discovered and he's end up he ends up getting killed and they purge evil from Israel we talked about breaking covenant with God we talked about not doing your part with the Lord and many wonder why they don't have victory and 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 fulfillment and fire and they go through the steps of a lukewarm walk with Jesus and they just wonder why people do crazy things like what we just did God, I feel it. What are you saying about it? Just be quiet, for God's sake. Well, it's maybe because you never experienced any victory in your life, or maybe you've lost your fire, or maybe you never had any. Say, well, my personality's not that way. I understand there's personalities and stuff. But if, there, if there's no exuberance, no passion in your walk, listen to me. I'm off my notes now. If you don't have any passion in your walk, I'm going to tell you something. Something's wrong with your walk with Jesus. you mean i mean when you when you enter into communion with god and he touches you begin to realize who you are and who he is and all he's done you can't help but you can't help but respond there'll be something that happens now your response might look differently than mine i mean i might be like you know but you you might not but i mean there'll be some fire bubbling up in there i think part of the problem with the western church is twice dead and pulled up to the roots a bunch of religion and tradition and people not really understanding what jesus did go to a one-hour dry cleaning service and wonder why we don't have power, victory, people addicted on prescription drugs and all kinds of stuff, all bent out of shape and wonder where God is. For goodness sake, obey the word, love God, live for him and watch the fire come. Can you say amen? amen. All right. So, they ex- expunge sin, they, they purge sin, they go on to take the city of Ai and verse 30. 35 now look at your notes understanding the text Deuteronomy 27 28 Moses has prophesied over them that they would be in this place and so here they are standing between these two mountains both of them about 3,000 feet in elevation really a natural uh, amphitheater if you will place called Sachem and they're there Mount Ebal to the north Mount Gerizim to the south and it was prophesied by Moses that they would be in this place. So it's kind of cool. But not just Moses, this fulfillment of Moses' word. There's a renewing of vision because God spoke to Abram before he was even Abraham in Genesis 12. I want you to turn there. Genesis 12, verse 6 through 7. Here's what happens in Genesis 12, 6 and 7. God has spoken to Abram and he brings him out. Abram passed through the land as far as the the site of the great tree of Morah at its sachem. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that right, but wrong improperly, so please forgive me. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord there who appeared to him. He built the altar in the same exact place that they're standing now some 600 years later. What's the application? God knows the promises that he made towards your parents and your grandparents and even towards you. They're multi-generational. God stands over his word to see it performed. And there really isn't anybody that can mess it up. He's going to bring about what he said he would do. That's what he does. That's what he does. Can you say amen? And so 600 years later, here they are standing. And that, that really is amazing. And it's a renewing of the promise that God gave to Abraham. Their children's 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 children are now standing there. And God's has them do this prophetic act by the word of Moses and it really is profound they're about to take the land 
And it's not only a renewing of vision that God had given Abram, but it's a declaration to, and, a, and a proclamation that they were to be a holy people. Everybody say a holy people. To be holy people of God, blessed by God. It was a reminder of who they are. There is no other people on the planet that hold to the, to the regulations and the standards that we're called to. Do you know that? There is no other religion in all the earth that has things like the Ten Commandments. Someone said, oh, man wrote the Bible. That's all from man. What man would condemn himself to hell without a savior? With a, without a savior? I mean, who would even think up the idea of a savior? Kind of amazing. And so it's a declaration that God's people were to live holy and that they were to make a choice, that they had a choice to make. That if they didn't live holy, they would have curses. And if they did live holy, they would have blessings. And so they, they make a choice. And you have a choice to make today. You have a choice. You have a choice the rest of every day of your life. And they chose. And I want everyone here to understand and know this, that the choices you make will either release blessing in your life or they'll release curses. The choices that you make, the way that you live, will either release blessing or curses you choose. You choose. You say, I don't like that. I know. It makes you responsible. You see, we want really a cosmic bellhop, a sort of McDonald's in the sky where we just sort of say, give me a number six, go large, and then you just, Lord, hook me up, and then everything's good, and I have no personal responsibility. That is not the way it is. The way it is is a covenant relationship, and in covenant, there's covenant rights and privileges and responsibilities. Now, you have your job. I have my job. We have to obey and live for the Lord and love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. His job is to do all the rest of the kingdom stuff that He'll do in and through us. There's no, you, you got to get rid of a victim mentality. Get rid, of a, get rid of the victim mentality. Oh, you don't know what I've been through. No, I don't know. I've been through my own stuff, and I'll tell you, whatever you've been through, God can heal you, free you, set you on fire and use you to change the world. All right, God's speaking to us. Individually, I believe the Lord is saying this. We can have a new beginning. Come on, I want you to say, I can, I can start anew. Say it. I can start. Yeah, you can have a new beginning. As I said in all the other services, I will say again, it's the first day of the rest of your life. So you choose how it's going to be for you. If you don't like what you see in your rearview mirror of your life, change it. If you don't like what you see or what you've been through, bring change. The glory of man is the freedom of choice. And so God's not going to come and ram it down your throat. You have to begin to choose to change your life. The supernatural and the power to be able to do that, all that comes from God. But you can have a new beginning today. Look at your notes. Curses can be broken off. I'm sure that we're going to have facial expressions just like in the other services that we had. But some of you might be under a curse. Some of you might be living under a curse. He said, I'm saved. Well, I'm glad you're saved. You could still be living under a curse. He said, what are you talking about? If you turn to Galatians, and I want, go ahead, turn there. Galatians chapter 3, and go verse 10, if you would, please. Galatians 3, verse 10. It says, for many are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, curses everyone who does not continue in all the things written 
in the book of the law and do them. Stop. Hold that right there, and we'll go to verse 11 in a second. What that means is this, that God has given us his law, and just think of that as the Ten Commandments, and we're to obey the Ten Commandments, okay? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, because then we'll expose liars, but how many of you, how many of you can obey all the Ten Commandments? Truth is, no one. And in fact, the reason there are Ten Commandments is to show us that there's actually sin. I want to get into all that, Book of Romans, so on and so forth. But it's to show us that we can't do it. Okay, verse 11. But that no one is justified, that means just as if I never sinned, justified by the law, that's the Ten Commandments in the sight of God, is evident. All right, so you can't be made right by the Ten Commandments. Why? Because you can't do them. Should you? Say yes. Okay, can you? Say no. No, you'll fail. Should you still try? Say yes. Verse 12. The just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Okay, next verse. Verse 13. It's got that little orb floating around. There it is. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone hangs on a tree. So, how many of you in your family were able to obey all the Ten Commandments for every generation? Okay, no. So by not able to obey the Ten Commandments in all those generations, how many of you know what that releases? It releases a curse. But if you put verse 13 back up for me, please. In verse 13, it says, For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, Curses who hangs on a tree. Here's the thing. Every curse, every sin, all iniquity, all generational curses and bondages were put upon Jesus Christ on the cross. So when you get saved and you believe on the Lord and you repent of your sin and you are able to then appropriate, everybody say appropriate. Appropriate the grace of God, the power of God that's purchased for you, redemption at the cross. You don't have to suffer under the curse you can break it by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, the, one of the keys is appropriating. You don't want to receive the grace of God in vain. I know that Mike Sisson, my dear brother Mike, part of our staff, so appreciates you. He's involved in lots of ministries. You're a blessing. One of his favorite breakfasts is spam, eggs, rice, cup of coffee, maybe some orange juice. Want to add anything to that? Some Vienna sausage? A little cinnamon roll, some, <laughs> some ketchup. Okay, a little shoyu, a little soy sauce over the top. Okay, now the Spam is cooked just right. Now, I don't know if you guys know how to cook Spam, but we know what's up about Spam, okay? It is the number one meat in Hawaii. And if you, if you just burn that just a little bit on one side and flip it over, just, you know, just, just right, it's crispy and really bad for you, but, but, but good. <laughs> Amen. They were serving pork in one meal, and a pastor was asked to come up and bless it. And they said, Pastor, can you bless the food? And so he stood up and said, Well, Lord, if you can bless what you've already cursed, go right ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. <laughs> ah, we've digressed. If, I, if, if Mike comes, and, and the Spam is his favorite thing, but he just eats the rice and the eggs, and he doesn't touch that crispy Spam, that would be receiving his breakfast in vain. 
receiving the grace of God in vain is just receiving salvation, perhaps, believing on the Lord, but not breaking the curses. You need to forcefully evict demonic intruders. Oh, that's good. You need to forcefully evict them. You need to speak over depression and command it to go. You need to speak over poverty, command it to go. You need to break off generational things that you see in your mama, in your dad, in your brothers, in your sisters maybe. You need to stand and break those curses if you've suffered lack, loss, constant rejection, ongoing accidents, injuries, uh, failure, so on and so forth. It could be that you are under a curse. Now that's not popular and you don't hear it preached all that often, but it's true. So what do you do? You appropriate the grace of God. You don't just have the eggs and the rice. Eat the spam. Everybody say eat the spam. Yeah, you, you take that scripture, Galatians 3, verse 13, and you declare it and proclaim it over your life in prayer and you stand. That's not enough though. I think it's enough in the spirit, but then you need to take action. I'm all over the place here. I don't even know where I'm at. My nose is helping somebody. I had, a, I had a spirit of poverty, and a spirit of poverty was on my family, on, really on my mother's side, and it was kind of like we just lost all the time, constantly going from paycheck to paycheck, not having enough, never enough to pay the bills, never, you know, we didn't know anything about tithing, didn't know anything about the Lord, really, and that poverty thing got passed to me. Then I got saved after I got delivered. I mean, first I... You know, I was a Catholic, then I became a Presbyterian, then I became a Buddhist, then I became a pagan, then I got saved. And when I got saved, when I got saved, I started hearing about the tithing thing, totally thought it was some gimmick to, you know, grease the palms of all the pastors or something. Give me a break. Anyway, really, the hang-up was on my, my, internally, it was in myself. But I got set free, thanks to Karen and good teaching from the Word of God, and I started to tithe. And I started learning about God's principle of increase. Now, even though I began, to, I began to tithe and I began to give and, and was faithful in doing that, I still had the poverty thing. And even though I had answered altar calls and made the proclamation of a spirit of poverty broken off, over me, off of me, it didn't break. Oh, I think it broke in the spirit, but I needed to do some things. I needed to take authority over my spending. I needed to learn how to take care of my checkbook. I needed to learn how to balance and live within a budget. I needed to learn how to live within my, some of you looking at me like, shut up. Yeah, well, you probably need to do that. If you want to be prospered and you're just blowing your money all the time, or every time you feel depressed, ladies, you run out with your credit card and go buy a bunch of stuff. Smile at me, come on, smile. We're talking about somebody else, it's not you, amen. That's somebody else, praise God. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, hey, he's talking about somebody else, it's not me, praise God. You have to learn how to handle your money. You got to learn how to save. You got to learn how to give. You got to learn how to be a good steward. Hello. This is going over like a lead balloon right here, praise God. I'm just telling you, you want to break poverty off, it's more than, than you know, Look what the Lord has done. And you lift your hands and have somebody lay hands on you. I'm, I'm, I'm making fun of that a little bit. I believe in that. Come on, I'll pour all over on my head and roll around with the best of them. Get Shondai, Shuba with a bam, bam. Amen. Amen. But then when you go home, you have to change things. You have to change the way you think about it. You have to renew your mind. You begin to wring your hands and worry. and that, that, That's not God. All right. So you might be, and now listen, you can apply anything in that area. Lust will fit in there. 
You can, break, you can come to an altar call, have a spirit of lust broken off of you. You still need to go home and close your perverted computer, put up your porn stuff, turn the thing away, stop listening to certain music that makes you bump and grind all the time. Hello! You can get set free from that. Did I just say that? You can be free from lust, but you have, to, you have to do your job. God will give you power to resist the devil, but you have to do the resisting. Relationship addiction. I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on and on. You, t you pray, and then you take action. And you ask the Holy Spirit to expose anything on the inside of you that's busted so that you don't live under the curse anymore. All right, we're helping somebody. We can be blessed by God. I'm moving on. I'm letting you go. We can be blessed by God. Say it. I can be blessed by, by God. I look back at my life and I see the tremendous blessings of the Lord. And I've seen people over the past years that I've been saved and been a part of the church or been a pastor and I, they've come in half dead or maybe mostly dead. I've seen people crawl in and get a hold of the, of the word. I've seen them get saved, give their hearts to Jesus. You couldn't keep them out of church if you tried. You could put razor band around a church. They crawl over the razor band, and they get themselves up in here, and they listen to that. Every, every kind they get, they come. They're in the word. By the time they're three years old in the Lord, they know they have more spiritual maturity than somebody who's been in church for 15 years. They're praying in the Spirit, serving, on fire, walking in transformation and over 20 years you see somebody like that walk in amazing blessings and then I've seen the person who's been in church the same amount of time upset and angry over the person who has, has just taken off in God but the person who's upset and angry wasn't they weren't hungry they didn't go home and learn how to you know balance their checkbook they didn't go home and fight against lust and fight against the things that war against your against you your corrupt nature they didn't go home and 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 get build relationships or go to small groups and develop accountability so they can actually walk in the blessing. You want the blessing of God? If you really want it, you've got to get connected with God in such a way. Learn the word. Develop the word. Develop relationships where people will tell you when you're acting stupid. And we've seen people bounce all over the place. True story. Didn't happen here. They came. Mother and father and they have a child. They didn't know anything about child raising. Not unlike most of us who came in the church. So they're raising a child who's a little brat. And uh, he likes biting. This is a true story. He likes biting. So he comes into the nursery. His fangs pop out. And he tries to bite some kid. Now, it's not the kid's fault. Evil is bound up in the heart of the child. It's really the parents who don't know how to train. And, and we, we teach all of these things. And I'm thankful that, that we learn and we're still learning. Praise the Lord. So the kid decides to bite another kid. The, the nursery worker is on the ball, sees, sees the teeth about to sink into the other child, interrupts the bite, and the kid begins to freak out, kick, scream, flail, scratch, gouge. And so, of course, they punched a number in for the parent to come and retrieve their child who's totally out of control. Of course, never done anything like this at home, just here. That's a joke. Because they rule the house. Usually kids like that do exactly like that to get whatever they want. And usually the parents yield to them raising a full-fledged brat. You know what's really terrible is when they get to be 40 years old and they've still gone through that. Amen. At any rate, they punch the numbers in and the parent responds. And the nursery worker, rightfully so, took the gouging, flailing, biting child 
who really needs healing and, and training and love. And how many of you know love corrects? And puts the child in a, in a safe environment, which is called a crib. So when the parent shows up, the kid is behind the crib bars going, shaking the crib, just panic because he's, he's never been contained in his life, probably. I might be wrong, but most likely. The parent walks in and says, what are you doing to my child? Now, the mother, the, the, the auntie, the, the, the mother in Israel who's in the nursery, who's responsible, you know, she's raised like 75 kids because she's raised her own, and then she raised a whole bunch of other people. She'd been in church probably 40 years or something. I mean, she, you know what I mean. She cut her teeth on the pew. She's a godly mother with a godly family and kids that are on fire for the Lord, that kind of thing. And I understand that you can raise your kids and they can turn their back. I understand that too. She says to them, well, we had to contain him. She says, he's like he's in a prison. How dare you? What kind of church is this that you would put my child in prison? Well, I love what the lady said. The lady said, well, ma'am, if you don't learn to teach and train your child, you'll have a prison ministry. She then picked the child up, stomped out, and never came back. If you're going to live in the blessings of God, you have to learn how to, you have to learn how to raise your kids. You have to learn how to handle your money. You have to learn how to pray. You got to learn how to fast. You got to learn how to read and rightfully discern and learn the word of God. You need to be a worker rightfully dividing the word of truth. You need to study to show yourself approved. You need to have those things if you really want everything that God has for you. Like I said, you know, you can stand in a garage all you want. It doesn't make you an automobile. You come to church, you can come to church and carry a Bible as big as to choke a moose. You can, it doesn't, that doesn't give you blessing. I'm getting a little spicy here in the third service, praise the Lord. I was much sweeter in the first two. Anyway, we'll trust that you just needed it like this, amen? Either that or pray for me right now. Everybody say, I, I can live in the blessing but I have personal responsibility. Yeah, don't forget it. We can choose to live for God daily, and I think sometimes we make choices that are convenient or easy. Don't make convenient, easy choices, and I'm thankful when convenient and easy is the right thing, but many times the right thing is not convenient, and it's not easy. And if you want the blessings of God, you're going to have to do the right thing. Does it hurt? Yep. It hurts your flesh. Does it cost you? Yeah. It's going to cost you 10% at least. You're tied. Amen. It's going to cost you giving. going to cost you praying. But what's the, what's, the, what's the benefit of that? You know what's crazy is we actually have to prove that there is a benefit so that we would do it. We have to hang a carrot to say, the Lord's going to bless you. And so you do the right thing and you get the blessing. And it is a reasonable thing that we should do to be a living sacrifice considering he died. You a, come on, he saved you from hell. It's a reasonable thing to do, but live for him. Amen. And you, we've got to choose to do the right thing. Everybody say, I'm going to choose to do the right thing. All right, three. We must have a renewed vision of who God wants us to be and what he wants us to do. And that's what God was really saying to them. I want you to live holy. I want you to possess the land. I want you to move forward. I want you to be my chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're my people. My, you're my expression of righteousness in the earth. They were renewing their vision as they moved now into the promised land. And I believe God's talking to us as a church to do just that, 
to renew our vision. I believe that we're going to double in the next year. You said that last year. Yep, and we did. Praise God. Well, I think we're going to do it again. Why not? Come on, everybody say double. Why not? There's a whole bunch of people headed to hell. Shouldn't we reach them? Amen. We're going to build this building in the next couple of years. We're going to continue to press on, press in, and possess the land. Can you say amen? As a church and as individuals, he's speaking to us. It's a time for new beginnings. It's a time for a new beginning. It's time to set new goals. You know, school started or, or starts for some next week, and some had already started. Some of you are going to be going back to university next week. Praise the Lord. You know, you could do, be, have a different year than you had last year. Just don't hang out with stupid. Plug in with a different set of people. Begin to, begin to order your time different. You know what I loved about the start of every new school year? Not that I followed through all that well. I had challenging times in school, but I loved when school started again because it was like, I'm going to do it this year, you know? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes those are empty promises, but, but other times they're not. And I believe in God. We can have a brand new time, a brand new, you can set new goals. Come on, the first day of the rest of your life. It's a time to renew our vision of who we are and what God's called us to do. I want you to say this as the worship team comes. We're a personal church. Say we're personal. We want to be that. Some of you don't know each other. I would encourage you to get to know those who labor among you. Get to know people. Go out to coffee. Chat. You know, I mean, it's easy just to stay in our own little world. Get to know each other. Be personal. My wife and I and all of my staff, we want to be personal. We want to get to know you. That's why we stick around and don't run off to some office. And I was late for worship because I was outside talking to people, trying to minister to folks. Amen. Why? Because we're personal. We want to be personal. We don't want to be standoffish. So how do you remain personal as we grow? Well, that's an excellent question. How many of you want to know how do we remain personal if we grow bigger? Yeah, you. You, you, you learn to be personal. You love people. Don't stay in a little bubble and never talk to anybody. I mean, break out. See, but people, they scare me. <laughs> well, you gotta learn, you gotta learn to be around safe people. Amen. And you gotta learn love, love people that are not lovable. That's called being a Christian. Yeah, amen. Love people. Love them. See, I don't feel like it. Well, love has nothing to do with feelings. This has everything to do with commitment. How do we know what love is? That one man laid down his life for another. Love is laying down your life for another. That's what love is. Personal. Everybody say personal. We want to be personal. We want to be, we want to be powerful. Everybody say powerful. We want to be powerful in the Holy Ghost. We're believing that God is going to heal more people than he's ever healed before. You know, I visited our dear brother in the hospital. He went in and uh, they took a portion of his lung. He's battling cancer. It was a surprise thing. I went in. I spent time with him. We begin to pray, and the power of God. I'm talking power of God. Not, 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 not just a couple goosebumps. I mean a measure of the glory of God rolled into that hospital room as we wept and cried in His presence. There was a knock on the door, and I, I was telling Pastor Alex, some of my staff, when the knock on the door came, I honestly didn't know if we was going to go then to a total another dimension where... We open the door and there's an angel standing there. I mean, it was, it was that level of intensity. There's a knock on the door. I looked up and I looked at our brother and we're weeping. And I saw, man, I should answer the door. I open the door and there's two people standing there. I've got tears running down my face and they're just staring at me. 
could tell there were believers, and I said, you just got to hold on a second. And I closed the door gently. We went back, and I believe right in that next moment, the next 30 seconds, there was, there was a visitation of, of I, what I believe is a healing angel came in that place. And I believe he's totally healed. Now, we haven't gotten the full report yet, and I'll let you know. But I'm believing for that. Come on, we're believers. Any believers around here? Something happened. We believe in that. We believe in, the, in gifts of prophecy. We believe in the gifts of healing. We believe in tongues, interpretation. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit of God. Popular? No, it's not popular. You know what I think is weird? What I think is weird is when a church doesn't have the power of God. The church is never supposed to be designed around the, the gifts of man and try to wow somebody, a little wow factor, and we go home and go, wow, what a speaker. It's supposed to be the power of God. Not the eloquence of wisdom of man, but the power and demonstration of the Spirit. And that's who we are. I'm thankful for the body of Christ. Poking fun a little bit. I mean, I hate dead church, frankly. But we're thankful for the body. I'm thankful for Baptists and Presbyterians. I'm thankful for those that are not going apostate, sticking to the Word of God, and not tearing down the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're our brothers, and we love them. But here, we believe in a Spirit-filled church. That is who we are. We will not change that. It wasn't a mocha and, a, and, a, and, you know, a little cute meeting that delivered me. It was the power of God and the Word of God being preached and anointing that broke the yoke. We want to be powerful. We want to be permeating. Anybody say permeating. What do you mean permeating? We've been granted uh, uh, the opportunity to have a radio station uh, construction permit. It's called a CP. It will be given to us in about four weeks. And we will put a radio station on the air. It will broadcast from here. It's going to cost us. It's going to be expensive. But, you know, why would we do that? I mean, why would we spend money on a radio station? Because we want to permeate the culture. We're going to have outreaches. We're going to do things called Alaska Fest. As God leads us, we're going to continue to reach out. We've got evangelism, all kinds of things starting up in the fall. Small groups, Bible studies, home, spirit-filled Bible studies in people's houses all across the valley so neighbors can come in and people can get discipled. Why would we do that? Because that is what the church is supposed to do. It's supposed to permeate. You've got to get outside the four walls of the church. Now let me say this to you. Won't you invite somebody? Invite somebody to the church. Reach out to somebody. Be bold in your witness. Come on, it's a new year. Really, Rosh Hashanah is just around the corner. And, and Jews believe in the Hebrew calendar, I believe that the way that we live and the way that we pray right now will determine really the whole rest of the next year. Come on, can I get amen over there? I said this before, a friend of mine's father had a visitation from the Lord. The Lord said to him, remember that August is a time of answered prayer. There's something about now in the Jewish calendar. You prepare for what's coming up. It's time to renew your vision. It's time to renew your covenant with God. It's time to say, hey, God, I'm, I'm going to go all the way with you. Come on, stand up on your feet. Make a decision. You'll live for Jesus. Come on, make a, make a new covenant again. Recommitment to God. Come on, say, Lord, I'm going to possess the land. Come on, say it again. Say, Lord, I'm going to possess the land. Now ask the Holy Spirit. You just talk to God. Ask Him to show you if you got any curses. Any things in your life that need to be broken, you ask Him right now. He'll show you. This is the time to choose. Choose who you serve. Hallelujah.
Every head bowed, every eye closed, people praying. If you're not right with God today and you want to get right with Him for the first time or make a recommitment to Him, won't you give your heart to Him today? If that's you, you want to get right with God for the first time or you want to recommit to Him, you've drifted in your walk and you know you need to repent and put Him in first place in your life, put Him in the center of your heart. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? You want to get right with God right now? God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you over there. Say, Pray this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for rising from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin and be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Come on, just lift your hands as a sign of surrender to the Lord. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and light a fire on the inside of every one of us. Lord, that we would be your people that live, that choose to live right, to walk in the blessings. And we reject every curse. We cut off. Come on, agree with me in prayer. We cut off every curse, generational iniquity. You cannot afflict us anymore. Your power is broken by the blood of Jesus off of my life, off of my wife, off of my children, off of my family. Generational sin. We command you to be broken today in Jesus' name. And God, we ask that you, by your Spirit, would help us. Lord, not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline or sound mind to learn how to handle our finances, to learn how to train our children, to learn how to study the Word, to learn how to be a, a workman rightly dividing the Word of truth, to be a people of fasting and prayer and dedication. Lord, not, not some some lame Christianity, Lord, on fire Christianity, rightly displaying righteousness in the way that we vote, the way that we talk, the way that we pray, the way that we live, the way that we treat each other. Lord, help us to be disciples. I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to be a disciple. If that's not in your heart, do not pray this after me. Say, Lord, I commit to be a disciple. Help me to do my part. The rest of my life, I will serve you and I will grow in the knowledge of God. I commit myself to you and to this task of being your disciple. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not a light thing, what you just did. So now you do your part. God will do his. He won't do your part. You do his. I'm a part of it. You do yours. He does his. Can you say amen? Take someone by the hand. Pastor Karen, would you join me on the platform? Let's close. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in these three services this morning. And Lord, now as we close this third service, bless your people, we pray. Bless us, oh God. Cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance unto us. Be gracious to us, oh God, and give us peace in Jesus' holy, matchless, and precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen.
God bless you. We'll hope to see you tonight. Six o'clock. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.